Good evening, everybody. This is Joe Cruz, one half of the Commission of Corners podcast. I am joined by my friend and my colleague, Samara uh, Marsh. You can follow her on Coach Sam underscore DSU. And I'm also joined by Tina Savasio, the lead sports anchor for Sports Extra on Fox 5 New York. Uh, we are brought to you on the Cruise Control Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And also you can follow us live right now on YouTube, Facebook, and, and, and Twitter. Uh, I am here with my own, with my friend, Tina. Tina, welcome to the Commission Corner Podcast. I miss you. How you been? I'm good, Joe. Good to see you. Good to see Coach Sam. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Happy 2021. Yes. Um, it'll get better. It can only go up from here. <laughs> yeah. but, so uh, I wanted to just get you on because, one, we've been at this a very long time. You and I, Randy and Sam, you've been around our league and you've been around every sports outlet in New York City and beyond. Uh, just wanted to catch up with you, see what you're up to, what you've been, what's been going on, and we'll get through the rest of the podcast together. So how you been doing? Let the world know what you got going on and how you been. Good. Yeah, Joe. I mean, we go back to, and we were just talking about this kind of our little pre-show. Yes. I did one of your early, early podcasts back in, we think it was 2010. And I think it was um, maybe two summers after that when I came out to, uh, you know, do story on, you know, hoops under the sun and hits. And then it rained the day of the championship. So we yes. had to go from the beach indoors. So, but it was yes. still a chance to you know, showcase you guys and that you, you still had your championship that day and that you had your season and all of that. So um, I will get out there under the sun maybe this summer, you know, as we transition back to uh, sports and events and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I've, and we also got to know each other well. And we used to see each other a ton, of course, at Madison Square Garden at the Knicks games. Yes. I was at MSG from 2008 to 2015. Um, did the Knicks games, also did soccer there as well for the Red Bulls. Um, and now I'm at, you know, Channel 5 in New York, Fox 5. New York working. Um, I actually anchor in the mornings. So nice. um, it's going to be a late night for me tonight, staying up already. <laughs> but I have like one eye on the Nets drama going on right now without Kyrie Irving and all that stuff. So yeah. keep an eye on that for tomorrow morning. Um, and then on Sunday nights, I host Sports Extra, which is every Sunday night at 1030. And, um, you know, I've been, it's just, I've been really busy, even with the pandemic and even when there were no games, um, because I work for a news station, because I know so many of my colleagues that work on game broadcast, which is what I used to do, Right, everything was just quiet, nothing for a while, just no work, no games, what are we going to do? But because I work for a news station, I was kind of uncovering all those stories that were going on when there weren't any games. When will Major League Baseball start? Will, what will the rules be? What kind of financial hit are these leagues taking? What's the bubble? Go? What is a bubble? Like, you know, remember when the bubble, like we would used to think it was like bubbles in the air or <laughs> well, now we see bubble and we think sports, we think quarantine sports and right away. It's, it's a whole new lexicon yeah. we have and social distancing. So, um, so I was, I've been super busy. I mean, I worked home. Did I have my studio kind of set up to the side here? I'm just using my computer now. I have my TV camera here, but, um, I worked home from March. I think it was like 23rd through June 16th. I would go in on Sundays, though, because at Sundays at Channel 5, we have so few people and we're, you know, super spread out and like everything, you know, you're wiping everything down with antiseptic and Lysol. So I did do my show every Sunday night at our Channel 5 studios on the Upper East Side, but working home Monday through Thursday, 
you know, this is the same sort of kind of backdrop that I've had a little candle, you know, a little ambiance, give us calm. Um, and now I'm back home. They sent me back home right before the holidays, anticipating this surge. And just when you think like, oh, it should be getting better. There's a vaccine. I mean, every, like I know a ton of people that went for tests today. They're sick. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we really still have to be, you know, so, so careful. And um, we're seeing it going on in the NBA now. I mean, that's why it's like Nets drama, but there's also the whole story about all these crazy new protocols they put into place yeah. to kind of create a bubble in your, ha you know, it's like house to the arena, house to your practice facility and that's it. So kind of keeping track of all of that. But, but I've been, I've been really lucky to be super busy. And then I also work at CBS sports network. I do college football for them. Wow. And our, I mean, I, I was like, lucky. I was so lucky. You know, I've, I've met a lot of challenges in my career and there's been a lot of ups and downs. And, um, you know, I was disappointed when I, you know, left MSG, but I started working at CBS Sports Network freelance wise. And I got assigned to the Army football games at West Point, which is only 45, 50 miles from here. You know, and it's like a different world, but you go up there and you're at the US Military Academy. You drive into a town that looks like it's from the 1800s when it was built, still looks like that. And um, because it's a military academy, because these young men and women are training to be in soldiers and officers in the army, they forged ahead and they had every football game. Only one game was canceled because it was BYU that had positive yeah. tests. Army, I did every home game. I got extra games against Air Force and Navy. And I just, so I, uh, I was, but it was also because I lived right here. So they didn't have to travel anybody in. I didn't have to get on a plane. I didn't have to worry about living with someone at home. Now, my husband is actually high risk. That's a whole separate story. He's a cancer survivor. But like I didn't have you know young kids to worry about and different things like that. So I was yeah. in a situation this year where I was lucky to really work a lot. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, you know, really blessed about that. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's sports has really been a great and it's not a distraction because, you know, when we're watching sports, we're, we're seeing protocols, we're seeing that there's no fans. We know we're in a global pandemic. We're also reminded while it's, I think, you know, obviously it's wonderful that so many of our athletes across all sports and across all races are making these stands for social justice. It's also a reminder of all the issues that we have in our country. And so, you know, there was distraction, but it was also a different type of platform. And I think we learned a lot from the different sports bubbles, how to live and um, breathe and go move on without <clears throat> spreading the virus. Um, and it's also created incredible awareness for all, whether it's social justice, racial issues, um, just so many different platforms that these players have been able to use. So right. I think sports has taken on a new meaning and then um, every so often you get a really good game <laughs> and you can enjoy that. So before I pass it to Sam, I know that you, you have expressed about your challenges in COVID and what we're living in this new norm. I know Sam can dive into that because she's a she's a women's college basketball coach and she's been dealing with cancellations and dealing with the new norm of basketball. So uh, I'll let Sam take it. But I wanted to kind of have you both speak about maybe Sam to you know, speak about your challenges in terms of that world and in sports and how do we connect that to Tina's conversation as well? I, I can tell everyone. It's like a surprise every day. Sometimes <laughs> it's week to week. Sometimes it's each day with the changes. So many of the conferences uh, in Division One around the country have adopted the idea that if you end up with a positive case and your opponent is healthy, flip-flop opponents immediately. So you might have prepped to play one team, but by the time you get to the day before the game, whip, you got to play, you have, might have to play someone else. Mm -hmm. uh, 
then it's getting your players up earlier than you might want to. So like some coaches, uh, we have a philosophy, maybe game day, we don't do an early morning walkthrough. We let them sleep in. But then if it's an away game, you have to get up and test in that state. So we played Drexel over the weekend and the Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania doesn't accept uh, Delaware COVID uh, test Delaware COVID testing from our state. So we had to get up, get to the game three hours, four hours earlier just to test in Pennsylvania for their doctors. So it's 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 a lot of changes with, with results. Um, I'm gonna tell you the resiliency of young athletes is amazing. Like even with the NBA and WNBA going from the bubble to live games and some colleges, some states allow fans, some don't. Um, but the players are really getting it done. Like I, we tell them we're proud of them every single day because we know this isn't easy. Right. So, so Tina, in your world, does does that happen every day with you in terms of what you have planned and it actually gets scratched because of things that out of the norm pops up or things that are now out of our control really taking over what we're doing? And and what did you what sport did you really love in terms of what you covered in terms of the word bubble, which sport you felt did, did it the right way and, and why you chose that that particular sport? It, you know, I just, Sam, listening to the stuff you're going through, I mean, that's what I report on every day. Okay, you know, what games got canceled? You know, Rutgers, Penn State, men's basketball was canceled here. This game was postponed. Who's adding new games? So that's what I'm, like, constantly keeping track of. And I just interviewed um, Steve Peichel the other day, the head coach of the Rutgers right. team. They've been lucky. I mean, they only had one game canceled. But that's what he said. He goes, he, he wakes up every morning to check his players you know, tests from the day before, but then they're going to be tested like four hours later, you know? Right. So it's just this whole constant around the clock testing and staying apart. And then you get, you know, like you said, you're so proud of your, your players. I mean, he's like, I'm so proud of my guys because so many teams are dealing with these outbreaks and it, all it takes is even like, it doesn't even mean you're breaking protocol. It takes one mistake, one trip to the Seven Eleven, one trip, you know, you just don't know what, where. It's wild over. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Like and, and that's what like Joe Judge with the Giants. Um and we covered them and that was not a bubble situation in the NFL this year. We saw all those issues. And they had like these little contact tracers. I did a whole story on the technology of the little chip that the NFL was using. But you know, the coaches tend to wear it on their lanyards. They're weird coach or like by their whistle. You know, players tend to wear it because everybody's used to their, you know, I their Apple watches and the you know, who wears it like on their a uniform, but you know, you have to wear it from the minute you get on the property. Right. Your sign number. It was a fascinating story. And that's how the Giants, you know, they had a couple of positives and they, and they had a couple guys miss games, but it wasn't brutal. It, it didn't um, really hurt them in the long run. So that was kind of fascinating to follow them. But man, you, I mean, just the NBA, I think the NBA knows now their bubble was phenomenal. But it also cost them billions of dollars, whether it was lost money because of ticket sales. I mean, just to think the Lakers were in the finals and there was nobody at these games. Right. Not one ticket. I mean, you know, those tickets were going, it could have gone for like 10 grand each. I mean, you know, the crazies that would have bought them. Right. So that's the thing. I mean, the money lost, but we saw from like a science perspective how well that worked. But we're also seeing no matter how hard, you know, how you try, how hard you try masks, you know, the testing, the double test. I mean, you have to, anybody that walks into Barclays, and I'm sure the same is for the garden, but I just did a report at Barclays on opening night. You're tested twice. So you, you test either, you know, the practice, the players are, are, have their own separate testing system. So they're constantly tested. I always go, they're constantly tested, left the nose. Then when you arrive, there's the rapid testing, but the people that work in the building and staff, my husband does stats 
at Barclays for the Nets. He just left tonight. He's he always does a home, he gets he's get these regular home kits. He's got like a ton of home kits. He does his home kit. He sends it in so that it's twenty four hours. And then when he arrives, he does the rapid test where then you stand and and you wait in like this little holding area for like fifteen minutes. So. Wow. You know, they're trying, but we're seeing a lot of games. I got another tweet before. I mean, Boston, could they play? Boston and Miami are struggling right now because they just don't have enough players. <laughs> right. It's not like they're sticking on, on ventilators, but, you know, there are guys that are sick, you know, whether, you know, minor symptoms, cold. I mean, I'm always sniffling and always tired. But, um, you know, it's, it's the close contact thing. So, you know, it's just... The bubbles work, but they are incredibly expensive. Um, mm -hmm. Doing a story, I just did a little one the other day. It's coming up. The Women's Hockey League, the National Women's Hockey League, NWHL. They're going to do a very shortened season. Usually their season's about three months. It's not as long as the NHL. Um, they're doing about a two-week season. It's going to be a tournament, and they're doing it up in Lake Placid. And, you know, they go, they're going up now. They're, they're training now. They go up in quarantine for two weeks. I think it starts the 23rd of January. You know, they're in the empty arena, but it gives them an opportunity to play a little bit, live streaming broadcasts. So um, everybody's trying. And, and Coach Sam is just, you know, you're so proud of your players. And, you know, and even like coaches in conferences, everyone's trying. We're trying, you know, and some leagues, Ivy League was like, we're out. You know, we're not putting our students through that. Um, feel bad for those athletes. But, uh, you know, that's the decision made. And, and then the ones that are just trying, you know, sometimes – You'll have games, you won't have games. So that's kind of like, that's been my job every day, kind of keeping track of all that and experience, experiencing all that, you know, from the, the watch, the viewer side, you know, I get to, and then present it to our viewers. Right. And, and you know something, and we're all in industries where we have to be very meticulous and ridiculous planners. Mm -hmm. How much of this has changed? Like how much I've said to myself, I've had to go back to my roots where, you just used to show up and just read the scene and read where you are. And so I'm like, what has that done for you in terms of returning to your roots or figuring out how to do this when things change so rapidly? Well, especially when there were no games. I mean, I had a, I, I had a fight. The challenge was finding a story every day. And I also wanted to be the one like, oh, thank goodness. Because, I mean, March, April, May, all we heard about in the news section were the deaths, right? And all the awful things that were going on in New York City with the hospitals. And we, um, where Channel 5 is in New York on 67th and uh, 3rd, between 2nd and 3rd, we are right by Hospital Row down there on 1st Avenue in New York. So, I mean, it just was constant uh, sirens. I mean, it was unbelievable. And we are in the building and you could just hear the sirens. And, and you know, I'd pull up to work. It was a desert land. I mean, it looked like I am legend, you know, when Will Smith lived in New York City by himself. You know, I would pull up, get parking right in front um, because, you know, you got parking right parking in front? gone. You got parking right in front? Parking right in front. I, mean, who <laughs> New York City anyway? I am legend for real. I am legend for real. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. And, and then all you saw on the roads were the, were the ambulances. I mean, it was unreal. Or we were right by a city MD. So you pull, I'm walking to work and you would see just the line and it'd be a beautiful day in the summer, you know, in June. Yeah. And there was the line all the way up two avenues, you know, mm -hmm. all the way down 67th street or up, you know, and, um, so it was just some surreal scenes to see, but, um, Samara, going back to what you said, 
Yeah. So going back to my roots, just, I wanted to find positive stories to kind of lift people's spirits a little bit. So, you know, you find a story, um, Larry Legend, Larry Moreno playing at St. Francis um, High College here in, in New York City. You know, so he goes out, he's bored, he's looking for rims. And, you know, he starts this whole crazy dunking thing. He's just got this incredible talent knack. So that was a fun story that even the, the like the most curmudgeoned news people either shot me a text or they, you know, spot when I saw me or leave me a note like oh my god Larry Legend that was so great to see because it just it, it showed how a kid adapted in this pandemic it was sports it went viral it was kind of like everything that could go on in 2020 and there weren't even rims up in New York City and he still found a way to do these incredible trick shots <laughs> and you find that one rim that was available like under the Gowanus you know, bridge you know and he, he and his buddy would ride their bikes like five miles or whatever it was so I would look for like little stories like that um you know in virtual training for youth sports i mean oh my god all the young kids that were stuck in the house yeah. and their parents are like i don't know how to kick a soccer ball like or i don't know how to you know shoot a jump shot so they mm -hmm. there were so many virtual training things especially in youth sports just kind of finding stories like that and then and then it was kind of then there was like it wasn't fun because i'd much rather be doing real stories with athletes but i caught up with like guys like jeff mcneil on the mets garrett temple on um, bunch of the hockey players were very available um talked to me because the banajad and he was in sweden um when the guys were in the bubble and just kind of seeing them in their in, like in their house yes. um a couple times the giants like i felt football was like almost a bubble like those guys legitimately got to their training facility at like five in the morning and they were there to like eight at night i mean that was like almost a bubble they were just sleeping in their beds wherever their houses were so i, I always interviewed a, a giants player at their facility but you know it, it is just funny um you know seeing guys in their couch with their dog jumping in or just you know and um and a lot of the draft picks so that they added um, a human element that i thought was neat it kind of took that you know controlled atmosphere of like a hundred people around a guy at his locker you know showed him on his couch and um so that was kind of fun got to talk to sabrina unescu a ton um, and it just broke my heart when she got hurt because That's she was girl oh man so cool. i remember that i remember that game on tv i said man this is like the white chocolate of female basketball and she's gonna play <laughs> oh god and I, and, well listen tina that that team wasn't good so she was doing everything rebounding yeah. passing blocking it was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. And then to see her get hurt, I think they did a good job holding her back for the year and say, you know what, this year's a wash. Yeah. We're going to get you, you know, get into the weight room, strength training, conditioning. Yeah. She, she, she was around the other pro players, you know, get it, you know, and learning about their training regimens, little exactly. things like that. Yeah. Uh, but man, I tell you, I talked to her a couple times and she was just so, she's just such a cool chick. So like mature beyond her years. Yes. Uh, I think a lot of that comes from her relationship with Kobe. Right. You know? yep. I feel like yep. I taught yep. her a lot in a short period yes. of time. Yes. You see that. Um, so, it's just amazing how that's, I feel like that's the torch he passed. Yes. You know, I mean, of course we're wrong, we can do all that stuff, but like there's something special about that one, um, especially with Gianna's legacy, you know, like she would, there would have been a Bryant. I mean, literally days before, which, okay, I'll tell you exactly what it was. Today's what? January 12th. Yes. Um, exactly a year ago, January 22nd, 23rd, um, I was in Indianapolis at, uh, I was at Indiana at rather, University of Indiana, and we did for CBS Sports Network a We Need to Talk 
college campus version. So we all went to the college campus and Lisa Leslie was, uh, we had the panel with Sarah Kustak, we know well in New York, Lisa Leslie was there, Summer Sanders. Right. And, and we, were, we were prepping for the show and we're sitting around drinking our coffee early in the morning and we were talking about different topics. And I forget what topic we were honing this in on. My, it, must, it must've been women's empowerment and, and something like that. But um, Lisa was like, there's going to be a Bryant in the WNBA. She was so excited. Oh, because days before was when Kobe and Gianna were at the Brooklyn Nets game. So Lisa was asking Sarah. So they're having this whole conversation. And it was four days before the crash. Mm. And I remember Lisa Leslie beaming about this girl is going to be in the WNBA. There's going to be a Bryant on a jersey on um, so I feel like that whole thing with Sabrina, um, there's some kind of torch passed. Like, a, you know, you know, it was in, it's like, even though it was a short amount of time, I think it's very special and it'll be very poignant for, for years to come with her career, for sure. So, so Tina, I want to take it. Uh, uh, I know Sam knows about this, about you, but the one thing I admire about you, you are so humble. I, I came across some stats about you. You know, you're a seven-time New York <laughs> Emmy Award winner. I didn't know I was speaking with such prestige. So it's a phenomenal regional network. You know what I mean? Like I was part of a really good team. You know, I mean the the editors, the producers, Man. everything about MSG. You know, it's the world's greatest arena, and that's how you're able to create. You know, New York's best broadcast. So that's that's a lot of the reason why. <laughs> yeah, and then and, and along those time, you was in the you was in the era where the Knicks were kind of like rebuilding and setting their new tone. You did a great vignette on Carmelo on, on his you know, with his father and him being his Puerto Rican descent. And then you did a great story on Amari and his, you know, surprise wedding and his vignette. So do you, do you miss that? Uh, and, and what is the one thing that you miss about working with the New York Knicks and your, and that time frame that you had it in, in those prime years when those players were? Um, I just love the relationships you were able to build. I mean, and that's something that's not going on right now in sports for any courtside sideline reporter because you're not really you're not embedded with the team anymore you're in the mezzanine and you're on zooms but right. what i miss um and what i really appreciated and i think there was nothing more like i couldn't have taken more advantage of it like you said like i was able to do those very personal stories about the, especially those two players um was because you know what i'm getting on buses with them and and going to shoot around at six in the morning in dallas you know what I mean? We're, we're getting off airplanes at three o'clock in the morning, checking into the hotel, you know, at the same time. So, I mean, I was with these guys more than my own family for seven seasons because you're just, you know, it's a, it's a yeah. long schedule. You're on two week road trips sometimes. Um, what I loved and, and then what I loved seeing was away from the, the court, you know, away from the arena, away from the court, away from practice. Um, I would see Amari a lot in the, uh, in the, like the, the hotel gyms in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. And think about it, he's, he would go to go to shoot around or have practice that day, and then they would do their team lifting and or they would have their game. But he was doing stuff before that because of all of his injuries. He was getting his body ready. He was doing the recovery, the preparation, and he would, like, carry around his um, foam roller, but it had, like, knobs on it, you know, for whatever stuff you're going on. <laughs> I'm like, this, that, that can't feel good. He's like, it doesn't feel good. It's not, it's horrible. <laughs> um, and then when he didn't see me in the gym in the morning, I would get like out of the bus with Tina, Tina, why, why weren't you at the gym? Were you out last night? I was like, no, I, you know, today's my off day. Um, so he'd hold me accountable. And um, I just also loved, and I think, I think a lot of people do know this about Carmelo now, because he's got his own 
podcast, the what's in your glass. Yes. yes. But I learned that about <laughs> look, I'm learning, Tina. Look, fancy, oh, fancy. You know what? I'm learning, Tina. Stupid hot chocolate right now. I should be drinking. <laughs> oh, I want a glass of wine now. So um so I learned that about Mellow. I really started talking about wine. Oh gosh, I remember it was um Oklahoma City and I forget what year. I just remember because um pretty desolate in that town. And I was, I was actually coming back from a run and it was an off day. And he was with, um, with his, uh, trainer slash bodyguard guy. And, um, they, you know, they were drinking this nice bottle of wine. I actually came in cause they, it was like the bar area still had, and it was like four, five o'clock. So they were like, before they were going to dinner and I was grabbing like coffee <laughs> and I saw them and they're, they were like, Oh, you're drinking coffee. I'm like, I really could use that wine right now. But I still, you know, the, so we were joking around and then I was like, Hey, you know, do you mind if I ask? And do you know why? So Carmel starts going on this whole thing about the kinds of wines that he likes and the uh, Camus or Cabot, God only knows what he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it was like some kind of name they were drinking and it was like a $500 bottle of wine. And um, it was so cool. And then he would talk about, um, you know, how he listens to Frank Sinatra and, you know, just wants to drink a bold, you know, a bold red, like different things about relaxing and all that stuff. And I just love learning that. Now I feel everybody knows, but this was like, Oh my gosh, I can't even think 2013, 12, like around then. Those the good years when they you have to be in the know or in the circle for a lot of things. Um, but before this era, for TikTok and and I mean Twitter was around, but it still wasn't it's not as strong as it was with the, how many yeah. years and the, the, the type of information people are sharing. I think you make yeah. a Point with that, yes. Yeah, like the live, the Instagram lives, and this. So you can yeah. actually take this podcast and put it on Twitter Live, and you know all of that. So yeah, none of that was around yet. The Facebook, yeah, nothing really. It was just starting. So and athletes, they were utilizing Twitter, but not to this extent. You know, it's where they were breaking news or creating news. Yeah. But yeah. So so that was. So I do miss. I miss uh, the relationships you built from from being embedded with the team, and and also I miss just being because you know every now time everything's about focusing and being in the moment. You know, sometimes there's third, like especially with the pandemic and the shift of the schedules. I mean, at one point we had like every professional team in New York was playing at once. I mean, you had the Liberty, the Knicks were out, unfortunately, but you had the Liberty and the Nets playing in the bu their bubbles. Then you had hockey playing in their bubbles up in you know Toronto. Then you had MLS that was like in a tournament bubble, but then the Red Bulls and NYC came back and played locally. And then you had the baseball teams play. Like everybody was playing at once at one point. We're like, oh my god, we went from no games to everyone playing and football practice was going on at the same time so it was crazy. crazy um and what was i saying because of all the craziness oh but but that's what i also miss like all when i was with the knicks it was knicks basketball and then who was their next opponent it was like being an athlete you know you would prepare for the next opponent okay they have the celtics next and then i would keep my celtics notes for the other games throughout the the rest of the year like what are some follow-up stories i could do or if i would see you know i would it was like it was just the nba and it was all the focus on the Knicks or any other like local New York tri-state area players that played across the across the league. I would keep track of them. And then anytime their team came in or we went to their city. So it was just it was so great to be so focused on stories. So, so I kind of miss that. <laughs> now it's like, oh, my God, it's all over the place. Now we got hockey starting tomorrow night. I can't keep track. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is crazy. And, and honestly, piggybacking off that point, I want to ask you about. The, the magic that is New York sports. 
So like from young, I never really was completely dedicated to one team in either sport. And to be honest, right now, I'm really favoring the Brooklyn Nets. So for you, where do you think the magic is right now in New York City pro sports teams? Like as far as the teams itself, I think the magic right now is going on with the Mets. I mean, they made that big trade to get Francisco Lindor mm-hmm. and then Carlos Carrasco. I mean, he's a veteran, so he's a little bit older. So it's not like this young superstar hotshot pitcher. But you add him to the pitching staff that they have, and we're talking about like a healthy Noah Syndergaard, and then you add the person that he is. I mean, I didn't realize, like, because so much has gone on in news. I thought he was diagnosed with leukemia like a long time ago. It was only in 2019. He's still like constantly getting his blood checked to see where his leukemia stands. And I mean, he's good right now. You know, it's in remission, et cetera. And he played this year in a pandemic, knowing he was the highest of risks. So, I mean, what a fascinating man, like to see him today. I never really, you know, you just see numbers and all, you know, they're, you know, the Indians are coming in to play the Yankees. It's Carrasco. He's great. But like you, you forget like all of that, or you just don't see it when you're stuck here in New York. So, I mean, I think the Mets and and the new owner and he's tweeting and he's fun and he's a gazillion billionaire. And it's just fun to think that those people, we think they're just TV characters. No, this guy really exists. I mean, he like profited a hundred. $1.6 $1.6 billion last year, Steve Cohen. Like, that's what he made. And we were, my husband and I were just talking about today, like, we were saying, like, Kyrie Irving's probably getting fined. Like, he's probably getting fined. We might not know. And if he gets, like, whatever, the 1% of your salary, like, he's getting fined $500,000 a game. Some people don't make that in their lifetime. And that's okay. what Kyrie's getting, like, say, we don't know yet. I'm not reporting anything, but he could be getting fined that per game. And then he's like, that's not a lot of money to Steve Cohen because he had I was he heard me on my Zoom press conference today talking about Steve Cohen that made one point six billion dollars. So so I think the Mets are kind of like the talk about team because I feel like the Nets were, mm-hmm. but Samara, they, like this whole Kyrie thing is crazy. And I feel, and my and my heart still aches for Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, son of a gun. And right, it yeah. happened in sports, but like to see that and and he didn't play in the bubble, but they obviously didn't last there too long, but. Um, I just feel so bad for him. So, like, I feel like that tide's turned and hasn't turned fully. It's gone in a different direction. Um, I mean, the Giants and Jet, the Giants were there. They were like the t- the talk of the town for like a day. You know, like we really thought they were going to go to the postseason with six wins, and we're now on down the two. Trying to wait for Philly to lose. All right, for Philly to lose. Yeah, so I feel like that. Let's see. Um, and you I, know, I love the buzz. Correct me if I'm wrong. There was really good buzz after that WNBA draft when um, yes. Sabrina was picked. I mean, I loved the buzz and people were talking about it. And to see her on the back page like twice that week, yes. I mean, that was so cool. So that's a that's again like I feel like a good turn um, that's happened in sports in general. And that's once they start playing and fans are back and. They're at the, you know, at Barclays Center. That's going to be sweet. Um, and like I said, Joe, building a better team around Sabrina. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's see the magic. I mean, the hockey's starting right now. I mean, gosh, the Islanders made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, hockey, it's not a, it's, de- I, everybody says, you know, oh, it's a Yankees town, but it, you know, this is a basketball city. This is a basketball town. When, now, so when the, we know when those Knicks were playing well, I mean, oh my gosh, it's the talk of the town. There's just like this different buzz about the city. Um, that's, we haven't felt since 2013. Um, so that's always so fun, but, um, and the Yankees, I mean, they were in the playoffs, but what it's just, you know, that was like a big disappointment. And right now, like, it's so quiet, like sign DJ LeMahieu or not. 
You know, it's like we're just waiting around here, gang. Like, dribble. That's what we say in basketball. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. So, um, but I think do my, look forward to. I'm gonna do my Tina Savasio. So I have a, I have a, you know, yeah, uh, some news that broke, which is. <laughs> Uh, Jazz and Wizards game postponed tomorrow due to uh, safety protocols and the NBA health wow. protocols. So, like, yep. Just like we mentioned earlier, Tina, like this is the world we're living in. Like you just yeah. mentioned, we had a couple of cancellations, and now we have a Jazz and Wizards cancellation. Uh, this is getting out of control, yeah. and a lot of the people who are really experiencing this have told us months ago that it will be the worst these months before we get any better. Um, so. Just want to give you my uh, my uh, my fake Tina Savasho drop. So I want to tell you that um, I have a question from a fan. Uh, do does Tina get any Knicks fans telling her or DMing her or messaging her that they miss her on MSG? Every so often, yeah, and that's that's what I love about Knicks fans. And this, so any Knicks fan watching here or listening, or I'll never forget my first year. It was the last game of the season, so it was the two thousand eight nine season. Yes. And um, that was the first year that it was like the Gallin Danilo Gallinari rookie year. Ooh. And um, it was the last home game, and the Knicks were trying to win their 22nd game. <laughs> <laughs> that place was packed, and they went crazy. And they, and they won. And it was just so great. It was just the best atmosphere for a team. You know, it's been weeks since we knew there was no playoff chance. And the, the, I mean, it was just the most amazing thing. And that's what I love about Knicks fans, even more because I worked in Boston and I cover the Red Sox. Um, I mean, they get crazy. Um, but Knicks fans are so devoted, like so knowledgeable. But like, you know, I know the three point percentage is, you know, 20 percent. And, you know, the defense is giving up this many points. Like, you know, like the stat, like it's a basketball city. But they're so dedicated to those Knicks, like kind of no matter what. Like, okay, we recognize what's going on here. And, you know, there's instability with the coaches, but they love their Knicks. And I just I just love that about Knicks fans, the dedication, butts in the seats. And it's not cheap to go to those games. I mean, there's no deals, no sales, no bargains to get in the garden. And people get there or watch and jam themselves in those sports bars. And that's why I just I can't wait till this pandemic is over, because that's what you know what i love so much about the Knicks, no matter what their no matter what their record was no matter what drama was going on you know what i mean mm -hmm. um, and that insanity to experience that with Knicks fans it's almost like, it's like one little it like binds it bonds you forever like you know that whole insanity thing i forget what somebody was talking about once i was like that was it's just like insanity oh my gosh and then like you just start talking about it and it was like this surreal two weeks of time yeah. it, was kind of it was a phenomenon it was a phenomenon i remember I remember the game that he he um, I I believe it was a net game. I was in a I was in a at a function with a studio, and then I remember the, him playing. And I think there was some people out. Oh, was Hermione was hurt? Yeah, he and, came um, in and played like the rest of the game. It was because I remember Darren Williams was on the floor. That's yeah. And then I see him sub in, and I'm seeing this kid. I'm like, this kid is getting a lot of buzz, and I'm, and then I noticed that the last like, the first his first game or two, he had a little buzz, and I'm like. I'm looking around. I'm like, these people are really cheering for this dude that came out of Harvard. Like, this kid yeah. is like, really and he was in the league two two weeks, like five games earlier. Like he was then, two weeks later. He's hitting game winners in Toronto. He's freaking like oh the God. Oh, and then so Ryan, that game. Oh my gosh, February 10th. 
Never then they said, no, Carmelo and him have beef for signing a five-year extension. <laughs> <laughs> what happened here? I thought we were all good. <laughs> he, brought back. he brought him back. It, was, it wasn't until he met up that uh, that Miami team with, with LeBron and D-Wade. That was when I think it kind of went down from there. But listen, I don't want to take anything from him because he did his thing. He did. Oh, yeah. I and I mean, you can, and then give credit to the leagues, you know, the rest of the league rather, and the team. I mean, then you, you takes you take two weeks, and they figured him out because he was he was phenomenal. I mean, okay, this is the talent he has. I mean, these are people that are playing against Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, and you know, and and coaches who played against Magic Johnson, and you know, in the past. So okay, well, let's. This is what he's got. This and this and this. So then that all came into play. So the reality kind kind of hits, but still. It was so great to see an unknown do that, you know. So, um, and, and just the uniqueness of of the Knicks and the the winning streak and the Garden and the signs, mm-hmm. especially like a Knicks fan, like not like you know it's the Knicks and they're celebrity. I mean, you have like celebrities holding up signs yeah. at the yeah. game. Like there was a, it was like the Duke Cameron crazies. Yes, but there was nineteen thousand of them at Madison Square Garden, and that's All what I tell cool. you is I've seen it. I've seen. The regular Knicks fans, and then, and no disrespect, I just seen a lot of the his fans come to the Garden and support him and get this other demographic into New York because he was like Yao Ming for New York, right? In sense of like how you the cultural, yeah, cultural, you know, dominance from you know other countries watching our sport and how he's embracing that role and especially playing for the most talked about, criticized team. In any sport, you know what I'm saying? So right light. Take that and demonstrate it and do well and right. play play well. That year was terrible, but that was probably one of the shining moments of oh yeah that season, you know, where it propelled right. him to get his career, but it gave a shot in the arm to New York fans to, to yeah. think yeah. Yeah. And never forget it was he was sleeping on Landry Field's couch. I remember that was like a big story. <laughs> he was just hanging out. I think that was Tina's story. I'm not. I'm. I'm I don't want to claim it, but it might have been Tina's story. Um, and I just and that was like the whole sub story, like Landry Fields and um, Andy Rounds. I mean, those two were like the the two best buds. Like, it was they were hysterical. Those two. Um, you know, with the whole thing, that was just a really unique crew. That was fun. Oh my gosh. I miss that. I miss that kind of stuff. But like, you can't predict that. Like then you might have, you know, you could have a really lame team, weird season. You know, you have to bad seasons, good seasons. Sometimes there's too many superstars. So um, yeah, you, you can't predict that. So there were some real, I had some really cool stories that I got to follow. Good. Yes, Sam. Are there ever any starstruck moments? Cause I know you're probably floating in amongst all the different superstars and even celebrities like non entertain or non-athletic celebrities, I, w- I would say. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Roger Federer, Miley Cyrus, like, cause I mean, everybody comes to a Knicks or a Nets or Giants game, right? You yeah, know? so I got, so a couple times where I was like, oh my God. Um, I do have to admit the fr- and I just thought of him and I saw him in like two different situations in my head, maybe cause we talked about him earlier, but I remember on um, the first time I saw Kobe, like in person, you know, and I, I well, I'd seen him play in person, but like to be like, you know, this close because I'm a team reporter from the other team. So I'm right up to the Lakers reporters like you're right there. So I remember that was like, oh, wow. You know, like, holy, wow, he is real. And he's right in front of me. You know what I mean? And, and like I'm asking him a question. And then um, wait, they gave me a one on one with him once. And it was like that because I'll never forget Andrew Bynum because local kids. So, you know, he's from New Jersey. He has a double double. 
the Lakers had like a 25 point lead on the Knicks at this point. This was in two, I forget if this was 10 or 12 or, but, um, and he gets a double technical. So he's like literally escorted off the court with like 12 seconds left in the game. So I'm like talking to Spencer Julian, my, my producer, I'm like, Spencer, bye now. He's like, I know, I know. He's like, just talk to John Black, see who can grab you. He's like, we'll take any Laker. They're all good. <laughs> my job. I was like, I was gonna, you, you're going to give me buying him. And he goes like this. Oh, hold on. Kobe, why, you want to talk to Tina? Like, just, and he's like, oh my God, oh my God, don't mess up. I'm like, <laughs> so I'll never forget that interview. You know, I just asked him about the game. It was, and he was great. And he, I remember him saying specifically, because he was like, oh, okay, yeah, like a towel. Or I was like, oh, okay. He was kind of like, all right. And, so he, and what's your name again? I said, Tina. And throughout the interview, he was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, Tina, we were struggling two weeks ago. And, you know, this person added this and this person stepped up here and that person did this. And, you know, and at the end of the interview, he said, well, thank you, Tina. Like he, he took my name in and he used it and, and it was a conversation and he paid attention to me. And that kind of that was an oh, my gosh, moment. Mm -hmm. um, another moment was and this is another one where my producer, Spencer, was in my ear like, oh, my God, you're so nervous. Why? Um, Wayne Gretzky. So Wayne Gretzky was at a game and, um, you know, he's been retired for a while. I never covered him because I was never at this level when he was playing. And uh, I was just really nervous to to interview him. You know, he's a legend. Right. You know, he's the greatest. Um, so that that I was like, oh, my God, I was like sweating. I was all nervous <laughs> about that one. And it was so awkward, too, because he was sitting down, had like Neil on the court, you know, to interview. And it was like, I'm <laughs> Let me see. So a couple celebrities at the garden. Um, why is his name escaping me right now? It was Jon Snow from um, <laughs> from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. <laughs> so I um, I wanted to like, I, I you know, we was like in the midst of Game of Thrones and he's there and I wanted to like take a picture and I just never went up to him. I was just, everybody's yelling at me. They're like, would you just go? And I'm like, uh, I was just felt all, I was like all bent out of shape and wigged out. And then um, I'm trying to think um, oh, so I don't know if he was Diddy at the time or Sean Combs. It's like a blur. <laughs> but when he was there and the two women that he sings with and their names are escaping me. Oh, my God. I could see them as clear as day. They sang the national anthem. I forget what song he sings with them. Oh, I'm coming home. This was the whole Carmelo. So this was after the I'm coming home thing. So then he was there and the women actually sang the national anthem. So he was just there at the game like with them. And um, I walked by them and I think the Knicks were playing the Celtics because I feel like I was going down a hallway to see uh, Doc Rivers at the time. He was with them at the time. And like I just, and I remember, and they were both, um, both of the women were like, oh, we love your shoes. <laughs> and I was like, and they were like, what are my crazy pairs of shoes? They were like, um, uh, leopard print and heels and all that. And I just thought it was like, they like my shoes. I was like, oh, thank you. And we were talking about shoes for like a minute. So it was just kind of funny, you know, just so like, like weird. That's how the garden always was. I mean, you know, and then you've got like all these legendary basketball players walking around, you know what I mean? Just meeting, you know, that job, it, I had a relationship with, you know, got to meet Willis Reed and Bill Bradley and, you know, all of Clyde's teammates that, you know, that were around him. I mean, it's to sit with Clyde on an airplane. It was just, it's still incredible to look back at like, wait, I did that. Um, so those, the, you know, there, there'd be times where I'd be on the plane to, and I would ask Clyde questions and he'd be like showing me on a napkin or a piece of paper stuff about defense. <laughs> and, and then I'm like, Oh my God, you know, Clyde, Walt Clyde Frazier is showing me defenses in the NBA right now. Like where did like, how did I get to this place? So that was kind of like little things like that were always really cool. 
So, Tina, I'm always interested on uh, your line of work. Um, I know there's ups and downs, more ups than downs with you. Uh, do you recall one of your toughest interviews? And if so, what was that? And if you can recall one of your best interviews to date, what was that? So one of my toughest interviews goes back to before I was at, at MSG. I was at the New England Sports Network um, in Boston covering the Red Sox. So I was the Red Sox, you know, clubhouse reporter, um, like Steve Gelbs and Meredith Morakovitz here in New York. And Josh Beckett, he was a charmer. Um, it was early in my time there. So I, did, I didn't have those relationships yet. But, I mean, they knew who I was. I was on the plane with these dudes. I was a team reporter. I'm in the dugout. You know, they know I'm the team reporter. You would think they'd be a little nicer to me. And all, and he had a bad game. So instead of keeping my mouth, then I just never, like, even bothered with him after bad games. I just let him talk. But, uh, you know, why did I ask him? I tried to, you know, he was somebody, you know, one of the hitters, I forget who it was. It was against the Orioles because I could see the clubhouse clear as day. And I asked him, you know, about this, you know, hitter sitting on a fastball and obviously gave up a home run on that. And um, what do you know? about throwing a fast 98 mile per hour fastball. And I was like, uh, and like all the writers were like, oh. and I was like, I don't, that's why I'm asking you. And like, it was just, but it was like, it was like somebody shot me in the stomach. You know, it was, cause it was lot, it was proverbially, it was post game. So it was live through our post game show. So, um, you know, give or take a few seconds for them to hit the, the button if there was a, a swear word. But I was like, could you hit the button for the next six minutes? <laughs> so it, that was brutal. And it was like tough to come back from, you know, because then I just, it, my confidence just went down the drain. And baseball mm -hmm. players are tough. And I have no problem saying that because a lot of the guys that retire, they know it. Like, oh, gosh, I was tough like that, huh? And then there's gems. There's some great players that there's there's always some good eggs but baseball players were tough because you know you would get this street you know sometimes it'd be the same guy who had the game-winning hit like two three nights in a row or like the guy's on a streak so he's like three for four one night you know he's two for three with the game winner the next night and you want to go for him like on the on-field interview after the game and they're like you just had me yesterday and they like walk off and then you're like oh and there's like nobody around to like grab like that was tough about baseball in my situation you have like grab a player yourself like running off the field like hey can I get and the pitchers are gone you know what I mean the winning pitchers been showered for four hours. <laughs> um so especially AL East game they're like five hours long so um so that was really difficult though that was difficult for me to kind of learn and get through and get over it and have those backup plans when the player would be like oh you interviewed me three days ago why do you have to interview me again uh because you hit the game winning run new <laughs> <laughs> you know news to you so that was tough. Um, you know, Amari was always a fun interview. I mean, I remember guys like Antoine Jameson post game. Um, ah, Steve Nash, you know, post game interviews. Yeah. Where I didn't know these guys well, but they were just such good interviews and they were so nice and answered my questions. Um, but Amari was always fun. Like the best one was that sit down interview I did with him um, about his kids. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just, and they were so young then. My God, his daughter's a teenager now. Oh my God. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, and also, you know, his traditional Jewish wedding that he had and just, you know, him discovering his faith and why he wanted to have this traditional wedding. And um, so, the, you know, that was, that was really fun and neat to have him open up to me like that. And Carmelo too, you know, to him to talk about his dad and, um, and his background and, and, and race and all of that, that was really, I was like, you know, I was like, oh, should I, should I go down this road? I didn't want to offend him or anything. And he was really comfortable and open about it. So those, those were two really good experiences. Um, those two like in-depth interviews with those two guys. 
Um, I'm trying to think like since then, have I had like, I mean, I, you know, now it's like coaches and, um, you know, I've met so many fun. I mean, Bill Cartwright was a hoot. So I had him on zoom this past, you know, pandemic right in the middle of the last dance. So mm. I you know, through a friend, a guy, you know, we're all watching the last dance. We're all tweeting about it. And a friend reached out to me. He's like, Hey, you know, I, I work with Bill Cartwright. You, maybe I can get him to come on your show. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know, can we get him? And sure enough, Bill came on and did an interview with me and he was all honest about how we couldn't stand Michael. And <laughs> so that he was like a hoot. He was, it was, he was fun. And it was also fun talking about when he played with the Knicks, which was just a great connection to our show. Um, that was a good interview. I agree. I mean, I talked to Garrett Temple about the LSATs. If we, we had like maybe a 25 minute interview, a 20 minutes was about the LSATs and law and what he wants to study and what he wants to do. Um, I kind of miss him now. He's with the bulls, but, um, he was a real, he was a great interview by gosh, um, this summer. And, and that was neat. He was in like a real chic, I don't know what kind of modern loft he had. That was another cool thing to see where he lived in Brooklyn. It was like that really typical Brooklyn uh, industry city, modern, cool apartment, you know. Um, and, he, you know, he's talking about his LSATs and what he's studying and what kind of law and um, the uh, the true lot, the true character from uh, Mercy, right? Have Mercy with the, the movie with... Um, Just Mercy. Just Mercy. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan. So he he reached out and spoke to that person, you know, about his path to being a, a DA, I think it was, and just, you know, really neat and um, interesting stuff. So I, I love when you could do an interview with a player um, or a coach for that matter, and just um, what else they do, what else, what their other interests are. And then I think it just says so much. And I love that players today, I think it's like, it's their thing. Like they want to have another interest, whether it's art or fashion or, or wine or, you know, be a connoisseur in something or religion or faith. And um, I love that about players these days or Mr. Businessman, LeBron James. I mean, he, you know, talk about taking that to a whole nother level. Collectibles. I think Serge Ibaka met with Gary Vee and he's into sport card trading or collecting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I, that was one of the first, I think what's in your glasses that that Carmelo did was with Gary V. I watched. I was like taking notes on that. I'm like, yeah, I can't. I'm googling like I these lines. I don't spend this in a week on food, <laughs> but it was fun to learn. Um, yeah, so that you know, th little things like that. Um, but then I another great interview. And sometimes you can't predict the moment um, yeah. like when Carmelo scores 62 points or when I was with the Red Sox and I covered a no hitter. Yes. Uh, Clay Buckholz in 2007. He was call, a call-up rookie that day. He had pitched two or three times earlier. And I covered it. You know, I was able to do a no-hitter walk-off with this kid that was like, I, I don't even know what just happened. He's like, Jason Veritek told me what pitches to throw, and I just threw them, and and the guys kept striking out. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, no answers. He's like, I, I don't know. I just kept listening to Jason. Like, that was what he kept saying to me. But, you know, yeah. it was just kind of neat to see that. It wasn't like this hot shot you know, pitcher that was like, yeah, you know, no hitter. It was just like this kid that was like, oh, I, I don't know what happened, you know? So that was, you know, those moments are always great in sports. So Tina, I'm, I'm interested, um, um, just to let you know, we're, we're supported by Red Bull as an entity. I know you did a lot of coverage on the Red Bulls. Uh, which, uh, tell us a little more about the Red Bulls and what, uh, what they're doing and, and educate our audience uh, who probably is a basketball audience. Talk about that on um, that experience with that um, with, with the Red Bulls. So when the pandemic is over and we can go back to sporting events, if you have never been to Red Bull Arena, 
you really need to go there. It might, I mean, I, you know, Yankee Stadium is big and the Garden's the world's greatest, but this is just such a unique sports experience. It is a beautiful arena. I mean, it's 13 years old now. No, it's 10, what year are we in? 2020? Yeah. No, no, yeah, I guess it'll be 13. It'll be 12 or 13, but um, just a beautiful facility and and to and it is built so specific for soccer and it's got the European, your style where, you know, if it's raining, you're actually covered, you know, you're at your, unless you're like the first five rows, but that's it. You're covered. You know, it's got the opening right over the field. It's just great, especially when it is full and you've got the supporters singing and chanting and the, the smoke and the Tiafos. It is just such a great experience. Um, and then I just love, um, and I can't wait till NYCFC gets their own soccer specific arena. Cause they deserve it. They're a great team. They've got great players. Um, and it, it, they'll, they'll, play a better product. You really do because it's very odd playing in a baseball diamond. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I loved covering soccer I mean, I'd always been um, surrounded by soccer, you know, tried to play it as a kid. Wasn't that good. Um, in high school, I mean, in college rather, I was the manager of the women's soccer team. And then, so I just, I really got into European soccer when I was in college then just from that, just from my friends being fans. So it just, you know, I was just exposed to like Barcelona and Madrid uh, Real Madrid and um, FC Barcelona. And then, um, but being able to cover MLS, um, to cover Thierry Henry was just like, that's another thing you just don't expect. You know, you see one of the world's greatest players and you know his story from the World Cup in France. And then he comes to the Red Bulls where I'm covering yeah. the team every day. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so that was a really neat experience. But what was cool about him is he loved New York so much because let's be honest, you know, on the right, especially in New York, you know, other cities, the, their MLS team is like the team and they're superstars. Right. But in New York, he blended right in because it wasn't like Derek Jeter walking around or Carmelo Anthony. I mean, a lot of these people didn't know who Thierry Henry was. So he just would ride his bike and go for, go jogging through Soho where he lived or, you know, on the East River or on the Hudson River. He just loved New York. He just, he was really able to blend in. And then every so often you get your European that'd be like, oh my God, it's Titi. You know, and he'd be like, you're from Europe. <laughs> That's how you know I am. So that was, it was really neat uh, covering that aspect of his career. And now he's a coach in Montreal for MLS. Um, but I love, I love soccer players. I love the domestic, the American soccer players. And then I loved covering the European soccer players. Just has a different vibe. Yeah, it really, really did. You know, whether it was a, a European player that maybe wasn't making it, um, at their, you know, D division one or their first level and they come to MLS to play. I mean, they're playing professional sports. They're being pay paid to play the sport that they love. They're in America. So they're just so appreciative, you know, and then you get your, um, American players. I mean, I saw a lot of Red Bulls players up and out, they're in, you know, they're with the transfer fee, they're basically bought, I hate all of the terms, but you know, they're basically, oh, you know, we'll buy him for $4 million. So the team gets this money in order for it to transfer the player to the European team, whether it was uh, in Spain or the premiership in England. Um, so Josie Altador got to cover him. Well, he's back obviously in MLS now, but I was there when he was on um, transferred to, uh, I guess it was Villarreal, I forget. And he, um, you know, 17 years old and um tim ream the great defender for the u.s national team when he went over to europe um so it's been really neat uh covering a lot of those players oh my gosh um tyler adams mm -hmm. the last couple of years you know young teenager from wappinger falls new york and he's now over in europe he's playing for red bull in uh leipzig in, in the uh, bundesliga 
Um, and there's a lot of a lot of players now from MLS, you know, going to the major teams in Europe. So it, it was neat to see kind of the, the in and the out, you know, who's coming from Europe, who's going to Europe. Um, so I really love the atmosphere. And I always felt like from covering Olympics, it just, it had like a, you know, that different international vibe, which yeah. you don't get like, you know, you obviously in baseball, you know, who's from the different, you know, like who's Latino and who's from South America. I mean, obviously you have that, but it's, it's, a, it's South America. It's still like, this was just so different. You had players from all over the world. Some guys did not speak a lick of English. Um, and it's like, you're, you know, and it's like French and German and, you know, Austrian, Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> So that, you know, it's not like I could get away with a little of my Spanish sometimes. I mean, this was really <laughs> languages in the locker room. And meanwhile, Thierry Henry spoke seven languages. I mean, the dude could transfer so fluent as could be from French to Spanish to Italian to Chinese and mm -hmm. German. It was insane. It was insane. It was amazing. And you saw that with the, with the, in soccer, with any of the European players, many of them, you know, English was taught in school, so they knew, or, or, you know, Spanish. So they would come in bilingual with like Spanish in their language. So it was just fascinating. I just, I love that whole cultural aspect of, of soccer. I got a question from the fans. I know Sam's going to jump in and I want to jump in. I want to ask you both this question, but right now I have a um, fan that just asked me to ask you, ask Tina about Bradley Wright Phillips. Oh, that's my husband's favorite soccer player. <laughs> he loves BWP. He's to Ryan Foster. Shout to Ryan Foster. He's actually our assistant coach at DSU. Oh, thank you very much. Um, he was the nicest guy, and he's another one that what you know wasn't really getting his chance. Wasn't you know, moving up in the divisions in, in England um, and a lot of pressure because of who is, you know, his father and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, playing for Arsenal and everything. So he came over and um, I just loved his wife and his family. I did a little story on just his like little family life. He just loved being in like suburban New Jersey. And, and, you know, and this is a kid that grew up in London, you know, his dad played for Arsenal, like all that stuff. And, you know, Sean, his brother was this major player at Chelsea and, and he just, you know, him and his wife and my husband just loved talking to his wife because they were accent and they were so funny. And these kids were such great little athletes. I went to their house and he took me down their basement. We have, and it was, you know, a normal house basement, but the daughter is like doing handsprings and backflips. Then you have his son, like goals like off the side of the house into the mini goal like there was all this stuff and like all this energy going on and it just was so like different like, like that's bwp his kids are so athletic and so energetic and so cute like he was just such it was such a nice family he was just a great player he um was super humble he and Thierry Henry would actually always say about him like he could eat he like he needed even more of an edge. Like if he had a little bit of like an edge, like not a cockiness and not a confidence because he knew he was better than the opportunities like he was getting or performing at certain times. Um, Henri said he, well, he, he should be scoring 60 goals a year. Like when he was having those seasons where he would have the, where he won the golden boot um, or he had his you know 100th goal or whatever the case may be. And, and uh, Thierry always like demanded more from him. And you saw that when they played together, they really did. And Thierry, that's what's so cool about him. This guy could have scored every goal. I mean, he could just score from anywhere on the field. I saw him score a goal also from a corner kick. He, um, he would set Bradley up a lot. He really would. Um, so that was, that was neat. Oh, I loved covering Bradley Ray Phillips. He was the best. Yeah, Sam, I don't know if you have a question, but I want to ask you both a question after that. So I do. So yes. Just listening to you speak, Tina, like, 
you're glowing when you talk about it. And that's like the beauty of sports. Like for me as a former practice player to assistant coach and having to, you know, different things, you've seen a lot of things come full circle. So what are some special moments or one specific? Because you've seen Steve Nash go from player retiree to now coach. You've seen uh, players uh, come back Viva City and come all the way back. Um, you've seen Carmelo leave the league and come back and as a superstar. So what's Amari, coaching. Yes, yes, exactly. That's what kills me right now because you've got like Amari, Steve Nash, and Mike D'Antoni coaching the same team. And I can't go. Like, I can't go. Phoenix Suns 2.0. Phoenix Suns 2.0. I know, yeah. Um, they're trailing right now by five. Okay, so... Um, that's a try. Like and like, Nikola Jokic is at you know in Brooklyn tonight. Like I want to see this guy. Yeah. You know, it's just not the same. But so that's killing me. What's also killing me too? Mike Woodson's back at the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Uncle Woody. That's what I used to call him. <laughs> Uncle Woody. And I'll tell you what. First person that called me when you know MSG didn't resign me in 2015. Mike Woodson. Wow. Nicest guy. I mean, and he was also. But my phone was buzzing. Um, so that, so one year later at the draft, so there was the 2016 draft. Um, I was working for NBA TV and I was down, I was in Philadelphia when they um, drafted Simmons. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was in Philly. I wasn't in New York where obviously the players were. So I was with the coaches and all that stuff. And, um, and my phone's buzzing and there's Woody watching me on TV calling me. I mean, just the nicest guy. I've done, you know, when I was on NBA radio, when I was filling in there a lot, always come on when I would call him. So the, he's back in New York, mm-hmm. back on the bench with the Knicks. And like, I can't like go and sit on the bench and talk to him about defense. Like that's driving me crazy. So those are like, like, like just special moments, like little things like that. Like the, I guess, you know, just the, the full circle, like how sports, you know, it just keeps going around. You know what I mean? It's, and I like, and I cover like all different sports, but you see it across all across. Like I'll tell you what was a great moment. Um, everything's blending. So it was like right before the pandemic when they announced the 2020 um, Baseball Hall of Fame class and it's Derek Jeter. And Jeter is like almost to the day six months older than me. Wow. To follow his career. And I remember the first Yankees game I went to in person. I went to a Yankees game um, a couple times in when I went to University of Maryland at, at Orioles. But mm-hmm. to go, the first game I ever went to at Yankee Stadium, I was out of college and I was working at a newspaper in New Jersey. And my boss just threw the tickets on my desk. And he's like, take your father. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I took my dad to the Yankees game. And that was Jeter's rookie year. I mean, I was just out of college. It was 96. So it was so cool, like, seeing him take the field. I'm like, oh, dad. Like, I remember saying, like, dad, this is the new rookie. You know, or he was saying to me, this is the new rookie. I'm like, no kidding. I was like, you know, it's Derek Jeter, blah, blah, blah. The farm system, they called him up. And, you know, and it was rookie of the year. Um, so I remember, like, so seeing his career, and I, I didn't get to cover it till I was, you know, a few years later, obviously. I'm trying to think the first Yankees game, what year I covered. I was at CBS Sports. It's like 2004-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was about eight years later. Yeah, before I had, you know, I had to break through all wow. the different levels as an on-air person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it was like 04, the first time I was really, yeah, doing clubhouse stuff, covering the Yankees. And... Um, so just to be able to, you know, watch his whole career. And I was at the last game at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. I was not at his I was not at his last game, but I was at his last game that last week. Um I, mm-hmm. that Sunday that that it was you know, I guess his last game was the following Friday at Yankee Stadium. 
but I watched it at a bar at Penn State because I was at Penn State doing Penn State Northwestern game. I had a sideline reporting the next day for Big Ten Network, and I remember like sitting at the bar watching Jeter's last game, and um, and to see him at that press conference um, as a Hall of Famer. Yes. You know, it was it was really neat. You know, and just the the way he answered my question. You know, he's because it was like saying hi to everybody, and he just was so relaxed. It was not the same Derek Jeter we saw playing, and that was like, the answer to my question. Like, just as he looks back, he said, you know, his parents. It was about advice with his parents. I talked to him about sharing the moment with his parents, and he had said, you know, my dad always told me you're not enjoying this. You're not enjoying this. He goes, and now that like. I, I can't achieve anything else as a player. You know, I'm a Hall of Famer now. And he's like, you know, so it's not a regret, but I, I recognize I didn't enjoy it as much. I always was like, even if we won, we won the World Series. 20 minutes later, I was like, okay, we have to win the World Series next year. Like, yeah. And to see him um, verbalize that and communicate that and um, to see somebody, I mean, he won all those World Series and, you know, MVP and all that stuff, but like to see the Hall of Fame, that's it. You know what? There's nothing for you to accomplish as a player anymore. Right, and yeah. to see him take that in, it was kind of neat to see that in person. Anyway, he was super nice. You know, we said hi a little bit at the end afterwards. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, and that's what's so great, like about sports. Like it's not always about the game moment either. You know, little things like that, like just seeing a coach yeah. come back to town, or or seeing or a player become a coach, or a player like that. You know, it yeah. wasn't a game. You're not celebrating. But it was like now he's recognizing that, oh, you know, I, I played a Hall of Fame career. It's neat to see somebody in person kind of experience that. So yes. I really appreciate those moments. Before I ask you the magic question, I have a, another fan chimed in. Uh, me and Samara know this guy really well, Mike Patrick. He <laughs> said, Mike Patrick, a.k.a. DJ Unique, is our DJ for the tournament. So he said, please ask Tina, what does she feel about Doug Peterson did with tanking the last game and keeping the Giants at the playoffs. So what here's the thing, because I covered the Giants every week, every game. Well, I wasn't physically at the games, but I was at practice once a week, did interviews. The Giants could have won four more. There were four games they could have won. They could have beat the, the, the Buccaneers as well. I mean, there were some games they blew, that, that Eagles game on Thursday night. Mm. So it was fun, and it was cool, and it would have been awesome if the Giants were able to back into the playoffs like they did, you know, if, if the Eagles won that game and they were on their way to winning that game. I mean, look, do we know there's two, there's four sides to every story. Doug Peterson lost his job. I mean, and I don't agree with like a lot of the coaches. So that my thing is they didn't know the Giants anything. And I don't think, and I, I got a kick out of the players and I, they weren't whining the Giants players, but it was funny to watch the, the Eagles tank. It looked like they were doing it to the Giants. It really did. And I really don't think playing it, because then the next day when you talk to the players, like especially Jabril Peppers and Evan Ingram, I mean, they were really up front. Like, look, we get it. We had 16 chances to win. And it was, it was you know, we were in that situation. You can't put your fate in anybody else's hand. But it was fun kind of watching them react. You know, yeah. it was like, why is Jalen hurt? Like everybody's asking that question, but to see like Saquon Barkley asked, and who didn't, you know, we played two games this year. Right. Like, you know, what's going on here? Could someone explain? Like it was funny to watch football players, real NFL players kind of go through what we're going through at the same right. time. So that kind of added to the drama. But yeah, I mean, you hear so many players say how he, he disrespected the game. And that's a thing I learned big time, especially with the Knicks and their draft position during the years that I covered them. I mean, there were a lot of times where it's like, oh, tank and lose this. And there were a couple of games they won down the stretch, uh, Derek Fisher's first year. Mm -hmm. I mean, fans were so mad. And like, 
you know, these players were just trying to win a game and who's trying to play well to get their next contract. And like Fisher just wanted to win a game. I mean, this dude won, you know, all five NBA championships with the greatest player in the world. He's like, I just wanted to win a game, you know? So I, it's, you know, it's, it's, that's why the draft is set up that way. You reward the worst team. But when you have, if you have the ability to win, you don't deserve the, the top draft pick. So right. if he tanked for a better draft pick, is it going to make a difference? Was he trying to I, I hurt the Giants? I don't think it was. I think it was It was draft related. But now he's not coaching that team. So, so it's not. To the next yeah. coach. <laughs> I disagree with everything that he did. I hope the Jets don't hire him, actually. I really hope they don't. I heard that earlier on a yeah. few of the network stations, um, and I hope that isn't the case either. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm like Sam. I don't really follow a team. Yeah. I, just want, I want my city and state to kind of represent. So like the mm. Buffalo Bills, who went there four years in a row and failed, like I want to see them win. Like yeah. in my lifetime, I want to see the Knicks win in my lifetime. You know, um, and I want the Nets to win in my night in my lifetime when Jay Kidd and Kenya Martin and Keeping Home was. I went to a couple of those finals games. Yeah, the old arena, the Continental Airlines Arena. I want to ask you both ladies this because I know that we're um, either in or approaching Women Empowerment Month, and I know that a lot of uh, a lot of news been coming out about mental health, about uh, Becky Hammond coaching her first game. Um, the WNBA making a major statement with the Georgia election and their the, the NBA's message with Black Lives Matter, with the women's empowerment the WNBA and what they were able to portray. Uh, you being prominent women, both of you in your respective fields, how is this long overdue? Do you feel gratified or you feel like we're still unsurfacing uh, the reality that women are should, should have a rights place in our sport? Smart, you could go. You're, you know, head coach and <laughs> a woman's team. You're in the spot, Sam. Like, <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I, I love that. I love that. Good. Good. So listen, as an assistant coach, um, 13 seasons. This is my 13th season in college basketball. Um, I will say there's still more to unpack, but it's like it is about time. And I okay. love that we're at an era where it's all-time intelligence for women. It's all-time ambition for women and it's all time opportunity. Mm -hmm. So like all three things met at the same time. So it was like, this was the year or this was, this was the season. We'll say it like that. This was the season for it to happen. And, um, and I said recently on, on, um, it's in a game with Randy and Denny that listen, the next time someone's fired in the NBA, call Becky, you yeah. know, you should get an interview. She's, she's, she's proven with beyond a shadow of a doubt. She can handle it. Um, and then in, in other industries as well, like we have what it takes. So like, instead of instead of having to just partner or us being silent partners in certain things, hey, listen, let us take the lead. We have what it takes, we can do it. Amen to that, Tina. And, and you're seeing so many more, and because of Becky's move, and you know, she's like, you know, she and was- even Tina, before I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna stop you, but also what I realized, I know you have, and Sam, Sam you have, I've noticed that now the NBA has female officials and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a more than ever. Yeah. Well, it's not ever. And yeah. I'm like, this is amazing. This is like, mm -hmm. like, I, like I seen LeBron bark at a girl. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm a referee. I never, yeah. I am so proud to see female referees because I rep with them in my own field to yeah. see them in that highest platform with those caliber, those caliber athletes. It, it is amazing. So like, I just want to get your take on it because I'm so happy to see this stuff unfold. 
same thing in the NFL. And you're seeing the female coaches on NFL sidelines more, you know, because of Becky. Now there's more NFL coach. I mean, uh, NBA assistant coaches. And then they're going to, um, oh my God, the head coach of Duke women's basketball now. Um, oh, Carol Lawson. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. she's at the major position. You know, she was at, she's on the med sidelines for a little bit. And then, you know, she goes to a major position, you know, obviously um, at a huge program, for, for women's ball. So, I mean, I just, I love, and I love the forefront. I love the coverage. Uh, you know, it, it's about time. And I was talking to the general manager of the Connecticut whale, which is the Connecticut and WHL team, the hockey team. And, you know, it, it's, it's true though. Like when the WNBA is on, we're covering it, you know, the Liberty are playing, we're but it's like, then the off season, it just doesn't get that same kind of buzz and coverage. Like, my gosh, like we're, you know, we're covering, you know, all kinds of off-season stuff for like other, you know, baseball. Like all today, all these, I'm leading with baseball tomorrow, you know, because of a signing that doesn't quite happen, you know, with, with women's sports. But, it'll, you know, everything's going to have its due time. Obviously, the way that we um, utilize news now digitally, a, a team, so say like the women's hockey wouldn't, isn't getting on a television network, but we have this avail availability to stream. I mean, let's be honest, a lot of people are watching Thursday Night Football on Amazon. They're not watching it on their TV set, like wherever they are or whatever the case may be. So it's, it's going across the board. Um, I loved how with women's soccer, how they were able to get that because of the bubble, because of the pandemic, they were on CBS Sports and they got nice. good ratings. You know, people want sports. So you give them sports, it was, you know, women's soccer, and people stayed and watched it. So they, these were all good signs. It's all good progression on, um, what's it, how many days? I don't know what to, the 12, so eight days. And we're going to see our first, you know, female in the White House, uh, Madam Vice President, which is going to be <laughs> You know, so it's steps. It's all baby steps. I mean, we thought we were, you know, we thought we were going to have a female president four years ago. Some, mm -hmm. some, some things don't happen right away, but it, these are all baby steps. Um there's a lot of other things going on with, with women in sports, too, in front offices. Swin uh, Cash yes. is a vice president with the Pelicans, you know, not a WNBA team, but the NBA team. So we're seeing more of that as well, which is impressive. You're seeing more vocal female owners. I mean, you know, Jeannie Buss, obviously, you know, her family legacy, but she has taken on a business role. I mean, she's just not, she didn't just inherit Mm -hmm. She took over the Lakers and the thing, and she made some really hard choices and hires Rob Palinka, letting magic Johnson go the whole nine yards. And it has worked clearly, right. you know, they're the reigning champions. Um, so she is, it's just not just the ownership. I mean, she has taken right. that business role. So what an inspiring person she is. And another one that's just laying down the path and being a, an example. I'm trying to think of other great examples, but yeah, I mean, even in, in, in broadcasting, um, we do have women calling games now, female analysts on male sports. Yep. And it's not just the sidelines. I mean, I'm the best sideline reporter because I am, I'm a journalist. So I want to be like, people are like, Oh, well, sidelines. Aren't you beyond? I'm like, no, I want to be in, like, I could, I, I have stories. So I know, you know, X, Y, Z about this player. I might see a coach player interaction. Like it's about storytelling. So I love that. I don't see that as the third wheel anymore. And there are some games where I'm like, Oh my God, you're coming to me again. You know, because you're constantly telling a story or seeing something or undercovering things. So I also think that females in sports roles are being treated different too. It's like, you know, third member of our broadcast team, et cetera. So it's not just the token, girl on the sidelines anymore. I mean, this is a big journalistic role. And there were many women like Tracy Wolfson and Bonnie Bernstein and people that had, you know, had to keep fighting and creating that role to be that. 
So it wasn't just the token extra person on the sideline. Um, and you see so many great young female reporters out there now. But I feel like Maria Taylor's been like around for a long time now, even though I know she's young. But you know, she's just like a constant and always reporting, always on air. So there's so many great examples um, in broadcasting. Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer, for two straight years, they've been calling those Thursday night games on Amazon. Yes, mm -hmm. female house. I mean, you turn on Sports yeah. Center and you see too many female hosts. Nobody bats an eye anymore. Where that used to be like a big deal. Yeah. Um, same thing with my show. We have a female. It's me and a female reporter at, at Channel Five, Jennifer Williams. Mm -hmm. So you know, every Sunday night, it's me and my interviews and Jen's lead report. You know, whatever the big lead sports story is. You know, whether it's you know Adam Gates getting fired or whatever the case may be. So, um, and really, no, I, I like how initially people were like, oh, it's the first all-female sports team. But then that was it because we just did our job. And that's what, what you also like. I know Sarah Kustock always said that. She's like, I, I understand my role and, and right. taking this job and what it means for women being the first full-time analyst um, right. on an NBA team. <clears throat> um, she said, but, you know, I'm... I'm doing my job and I want people to not notice it now. Now, right. you know, when the next person gets hired, you know, it should just be hiring. Like just, it's right. not like, oh, there's a woman that was hired. No, it was Jen Smith or, you know, or Danielle Wilson. Like that's like, like it's just going to happen. Um, so that's, that's when we know, I think maybe that'll be when we realize, okay, we're here now. Like when it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. and, and it's it's feeling like that at times. Uh, and I think in politics, it's feeling like that when you don't bat an eye at a, a, you know, female governors. I mean, I remember when it was hard to see a female congressman or governor. Sure. Uh, did I just age myself? I really did. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I think, um, but this was this as bad as 2020 was. I think it was a really good step in the in in the direction where we're trying to progress as women. I think it was. I agree. I think that uh, before before we take you out of the commissioner corner and putting you inside the rapid fire, I have a surprise for you. So <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think that me seeing Sabrina hold down New York, um, I see Becky Hammond coaching. I see uh, Teaspoon doing things. People I looked up to when I was younger like are really making major headways. And I really wanted to glorify that because women – I mean, women are the best thing on the world besides other things, right? <laughs> but you guys do a great job. Women should be in sports. Um, they are intelligent. They're awesome. They just have a savviness to it. So I think that, you know, me and Sam talk about all the time, like, when are we going to see this crack? When are we going to see the, the the even line of division be together, right? Mm -hmm. Normal and not feel like, hey, Joe Cruz can do a podcast. Sam can't do it. No, Sam could or like of the women's soccer team, you know, when they, and they're still struggling with their lawsuit for equal pay. Right. So, um, so when that's not an issue anymore, you know, it's, uh, we, we've seen it in, in tennis, but it's, you know, it is different situations and sponsorships, but okay. So then more sponsors, women's soccer, you know, more, more eyes on TV. That's got to get, we've got to kind of make the shift. But I right. think as the generations shift, so mm -hmm. like this young generation watching the U.S. women soccer team win twice and, you know, things yeah. like that and seeing them like in the court and like little girls at the parade in 2019 with signs like equal pay, like little yeah. girls. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. know that they need to be paid the same as, as boys. That's that's you'll, you'll sure. see that shift in 15 years when that, you know, five, 10 year old girl is 25, 30. Then it yeah. just, oh, it'll yeah. be you All of us will be old by then, so let's hope for a fast and so speedy. We can get back and be like, "Good job, <laughs> good job." 
Um, so this is the portion of the show. Um, Sam is new to this, so me and my boy Brian Garden Hire, we do we take you out the corner uh and we put you in the rapid fire. So we're gonna ask you questions, random questions, get to know you and my and the fans. So first question I have for you, and then we'll ping pong it with me and Sam. Uh your favorite NBA or WNBA city to visit pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, oh, that is such and a tough one. Um I love Toronto. <laughs> I never been there. This is the second time I heard this. <laughs> it's like it's like a clean New York. Really pretty. It's different. And it's a different topography. Okay, Toronto. Get Get All set. right. You're a runner and a heel connoisseur. So what's your favorite sneaker and or heel? <laughs> well, I don't buy them anymore. The economy has taken a hit and my job has changed a bit. So I, but I do I did love my Louboutins. Ooh. But I, did I, heard, I heard the leopard earlier, so I'm like, yeah. damn, who yes. beats a leopard? <laughs> I got my, oh my God, they're coming off me, but I got my Nikes on. <laughs> and then these are like the, these are my um work at home shoes because you know, they're the ones that don't need the sock. And that's what I learned the first time for working at home. You're, you're supposed to wear shoes. You're not supposed to be barefoot. Um, <laughs> but I had my these other Nikes on yesterday for like high intensity workouts. I did a shoot and I was like walking through the Oculus and somebody stopped me like we're all in our masks and like distance. He's like, what is that shoe? And I was like, oh, it's the high intensity. You know, it's the hip shoe for Nike. <laughs> and then there's your Jordans. You know what I mean? Like, um, okay, favorite player all time to watch or you followed WNBA, any sport? Well, oh, so you mentioned it's fine, I'll do two here. I mean, yeah. it was so cool. Like, I just knew Cappy's name when she was in college. She just had this aura about her. I know you're friends with her. She was like one of the first WNBA players I got to like really know after interviewing. So yeah. I just, I loved, you know, watching Cappy when she played. And it, you know, it was I, mellow. I mean, the, his, and you know what I loved about him too? It was just like the beauty of his jump shot. Cause my background, by the way, is dancing ballet before I got into sports. So there was just the technicality and the fluidity of that shot, which was so cool. So. Okay. Yes, ma'am. What is the next New York's pro franchise to win a championship? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with the Mets. All right, she's sticking with it. She's sticking with it. I'm gonna go with it. I'm on the, you know, the bandwagon today. Hey, they've got the most money right now. Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll go with the Mets. Best hip hop, R and B, or whatever genre you like album of all time for you. Of all time? Ooh. I see, I'm not see, I'm one of those. Not fair weather music. Like I will listen to all kinds of music. I will go like on whether it's Amazon or Sirius. I will go from like hip hop or like a like a smooth to smooth jazz or like classical yes. to like spa music. Then I'll go to like ridiculous corny nineties pop. <laughs> you know what? I always when I want a good playlist, um, I've gotten into and I started writing down Alex Toussaint's playlists on Peloton. <laughs> who did he I, I you know i can't even like because i'm not good you know what i mean because i was never like a big avid like go see a hip-hop concert or anything like that mm. but, like his playlists are sick so like mm. i'm like, writing this down so like i bookmark the the workout that's smart smart yeah. <laughs> yes, i don't know so i'll just like listen to the workout but there are ways you could download it now but i, I haven't figured that out yet what's your favorite sports documentary or movie of all time Mm. Wasn't the last dance good? Well, it was good. And I'm not even big on Michael Jordan. I'm a LeBron person. Yeah. So 
It was good. It was good for the history. I miss nineties NBA. That's what yeah. I that's yeah. what I love about and the music in that yeah. got me crazy. Yes. Like yes. all the time. My husband was like, crank it up. Um <laughs> <laughs> What, wait, what was the question? What, uh, documentary, what's movie? documentary or movie? What's your favorite? Oh, I love Rudy. That was cool. Rudy's cool. But wait, you know what? Love Tina, 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 that's a safe answer, Tina. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Do you want to know what I stuck? I was like supposed to be working the other day. I don't know what channel it was on. Oh, my husband got a fire stick. So I think it came up on the Amazon or whatever. Yeah. Loving basketball. I was like, Ooh. Watch this, because you know, because I hadn't seen it in a while. I love that. That was that's a good one too. I just stop and watch it. Like I just saw that the other day. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I love I love sports movies. You know what I mean? Like I'll stop and watch them no matter what they. Okay, I have one more for you. You got to start, bench, or cut somebody. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. God, you can't do that. <laughs> okay, I'll take out Kobe because he's on his own plat. Uh, his own plat. Okay, so we just go. I want to make it easy for you, Tina. Let's go, LeBron, Michael. Let's go with um. Or bench cut. So I have to bench somebody anyway. Yeah. So Shaq, Jordan, uh, you know, some child of the nineties. You starting him? Yeah. Okay. Ah. Who, who are you bunching? Who are you benching? Well, who was the third person that we we eliminated? You know, Kobe? I told you LeBron and 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 Kobe, but you said oh, that's not fair. So okay, I don't know so just bench LeBron, I guess. But, well, because we but Kobe doesn't count. We, I would never cut or bench him. Okay, so Dwayne Wade, cut. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Love, yeah, so at least LeBron's on the team. Right, right. <laughs> All right, cool. So LeBron's so, off the bench. Come on, that's good. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Well, that's my favorite play. He's never on the bench ever. Right. Um, you have, but like, well, I'm older than you. Like you, I grew up George. Like I was a Nick. I'm not so player. far from you. I sing your birthday. I'm not. So <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, uh, you know, it was like, oh crap, here comes Jordan. Nick's going to lose. But I just want to watch him play. Okay, 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 okay. Oh my God. Uh, okay. Let, let's go this minor era. So we go, damn, who was dominant? So we go maybe Tim Duncan, LeBron and Kobe and leave Jordan off. Like Jordan's like on a different plateau. That I is, I mean, you're so you're leaving Kobe in it. I mean, I would still. No, Kobe's out. Kobe's out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Why don't you bring up Kobe? <laughs> LeBron, Duncan, and who else was dominant in that era of nine two thousand? Dirk Nowitzki. Mm-hmm. This is hard. I mean, that. Well, it depends. See, do I need scoring or do I need rebounding? Um, I mean, start LeBron. Aww. Uh, Tim Duncan. And then cut Nowitzki. I can't believe like you're making me do this. this okay. Is- so we're go- so you're, you, you have successfully come out the corner. You're done out of rapid fire. Congratulations. You're done. <laughs> I'm going to let you go. I'm like, um, with that. I just want to tell you, um, it is a wonderful, wonderful evening to spend with you, Tina. I miss you like no, like no other. I haven't seen you in so long. I know, and hearing your voice and spend time with me today with Sam has been a true blessing. And I wish you and your family all the best and well wishes and and best health and anything you need from me and Sam and Randy with one call away. And I do miss you on the sideline. I do like Rebecca Harlow, but I miss you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I had Rebecca on my show a couple weeks ago. I guess it was like it was like a month ago now. But um, Joe, thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. 
Yes. Well, it's good to see you again. We had met years back. It is, yes. <laughs> At the New York, you know, New York City Basketball Hall of Fame dinner, of course. Where else would we meet? Yeah. <laughs> Before you go, I have some things that I'll tell you offline that I want to do with you, with, with my, my kids from the tournament in terms of the platform we use and to kind of educate our kids on financial literacy and, and young entrepreneurship. Great. I think you'd be wonderful for that. Um, so I'll keep you posted for that. So everybody listening, if you want to follow Tina Savasio, please follow on Twitter and Instagram on Tina Savasio. Please follow um, Sam, Coach Sam at Coach Sam underscore DSU. And of course, I'm Joe Cruz, Hoops in the Sun. Tina, we love you. We appreciate you. Want to give you a flower before anything happens. God forbid. And I'm here for you. And t- tell your husband I said hello. And you always have our support. Thank you. Thanks so much. Right. Bye, Sarah. Happy, <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> All right, y'all. This is Tina Sebastian. We love you, Tina. God bless you. We'll Thank you. God bless you. All the best to you. Thank you. <laughs>